0: Okay, Romans 12, and we're going to be also in uh, Romans 5 and Thessalon- first Thessalonians 3, if you want to hold your hand there. Um, last week we left off, we covered the first part of verse 12 in chapter 12 of Romans, we spent the majority of our time examining the culmination of our great hope, which is our redemption. And we looked at what it means to rejoice in that. Remember that? In the next part of verse 12 of chapter 12, the Apostle Paul tells us, in the ESV, the English Standard Version, that we are to be patient in tribulation and constant in prayer. For our purposes this morning, we are going to use a different translation than the ESV. As I said, the ESV uses the word patient. And we are going to say enduring or persevering in tribulation instead of patient. Why? Well, because I think that the the translators of the ESV should have translated it as endure or persevere instead of patient. Out of the 17 times this Greek word is used in the New Testament, it is predominantly translated as persevering or enduring. In the New American Standard Bible, which is a more literal translation in English, the Greek word is translated endure or persevere. Persevere actually. And the NASB translated translates it as persevere in our Romans twelve twelve text as well as Romans chapter five verse three, which we will be looking at as a parallel verse this morning. I don't often choose alternative words for the ESV. And the few times that I have, I've I've not done it lightly. And I spent a very long time studying this before I did it. And you may think, well, you know, what's what's the big deal, Mike? And why are you spending five minutes on this? Um, It's a big deal whether or not we use the phrase patient in tribulation or persevering or enduring in tribulation. You tell me. Okay, would you rather have your doctor say, uh, Jim, I'm confident that you can be patient in your fight with this cancer. Or would you rather your doctor say, Jim, I'm confident that you can endure and persevere in your fight with this cancer. See the difference? It's a big difference. Same with our text, big difference. Be patient in tribulation is much different than persevere in tribulation. The Greek word actually means remaining under a load and or bearing up and enduring under a load. And the word patient doesn't capture any of that. Nuff said. The question before us is just what tribulations do we need to endure or persevere in? That's the question. If you remember last week, we were able to further define our hope by looking at Romans chapter 5, verse 2 as a parallel verse. Now we are going to look at Romans chapter 5, verse 3 to further define what Paul means by tribulation in Romans 12, 12. And why are we going to do that? Well, because Paul is very consistent. Something else that we saw last week, Paul is very consistent when it comes to his subject matter and how he describes it. With that said... I sought out someone from our contemporary Christian culture who captures Paul's consistency when talking about or defining our tribulations, okay? And that someone would be good old Johnny Mack, as I call him. Uh, I, li- I like what Pastor John MacArthur describes as the Apostle Paul's Definition in his writings of tribulation and his definition of tribulation here. MacArthur says that, and I'm quoting, tribulation is the inevitable troubles that come to followers of Christ because of their relationship with him. Tribulation is the inevitable troubles that come to followers of Christ because of their relationship with him. This tribulation motif, if you will, is part of the context in Romans 5, and it's part of the context in Romans 12, along with several other places in Paul's writings throughout the New Testament, where he speaks of the believers' tribulations. And Paul also calls them sufferings, by the way. And like Paul I will be using the same words, tribulation and suffering, and we're going to use them interchangeably here this morning. Now, to elaborate on the Greek meaning, here in the text, Romans 12.12, the word persevering, I share part of the definition with you, the word persevering refers to the ability to remain or stay under tremendous weight and pressure without succumbing, to or giving into that which is upon you in this load that you're bearing. So it's not being defeated by the load that you're bearing. While studying the etymology of this word, it reminded me right away of Winston Churchill's oft-used phrase for which he coined the acronym KBO. KBO was Churchill's way of saying to persevere no matter what, and it stood for, keep buggering on. KBO, keep buggering on. In the face of insurmountable odds, when Hitler had bombed the entire city of London for 56 straight days, mostly nights, which became known as what? The Blitz, Churchill would incessantly tell his people that they must KBO, they must keep buggering on. He would say it at the end of his radio speeches. He would put it at the end of his letters and memos. And um, when he would see his generals and his war leaders, he would look them in the eye as he passed them in the hallway and he would say, keep buggering on, and they did. If you say it enough times, you think it enough times, you hear it enough times, then you tend to do it. And just like in the tribulations that many of us face when nothing is seemingly going right, and when defeat seems so near, we must persevere no matter what. We must keep buggering on. Now Churchill has been quoted many times as saying that he felt that he was walking with destiny when he was called upon to become prime minister and lead the fight against Hitler. And he said that it was almost as if God was preparing him for this moment his entire life. And if you study his life, you will learn from his childhood onward that that is undoubtedly true. God was preparing him to take on Hitler from when he was a child. So, go ahead and try and tell me that the Apostle Paul didn't believe the same thing about himself. And I'll tell you that you're crazy. Paul said in Galatians chapter 1 verse 15 that God set him apart from his mother's womb for his specific ministry and that included the tribulations and suffering that Paul was ordained by God to endure. Are you with me so far? And you, beloved, no different. You're no different. I'm no different. This is what I want us to see most of all this morning. Just as we saw last week, that our, remember, we saw that our access, okay, to the Father is a given. So too, I want you to see that the tribulation and suffering in your Christian life is also a given. It's ordained by God in both Romans 5. And Romans 12. We saw that our hope is realized through our Lord Jesus Christ because we have justification by faith through him. We have peace with God through him. And we have that access to God by faith into the grace by which we currently stand and rejoice all through him, all through Christ. And that's a given. And also, through Christ, we learned last week that we're to rejoice, right? Paul says we're to rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that our sufferings produce endurance, and endurance produces character, and hope does not disappoint because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. That's Romans chapter 5, verse 3. 3 through 5, actually, I'm sorry. Everything that you are and everything that happens to you, good and bad, is from the Father, through the Son, by way of the Holy Spirit, including and especially the sufferings and tribulations that you might be going through in your life. Please allow, allow Paul to show you God's consistency, even and especially in our afflictions. Okay, Please turn, if, if you're not there, please turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. It would help if you were able to follow along. First Thessalonians chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, Paul says, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone, and we sent Timothy, our brother, and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it has come to pass. And just as you know, verse 5, For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. He couldn't fire them a text. He couldn't send them an email. He couldn't FaceTime them. In verses 1 through 5, we saw the Apostle Paul's concern for the Thessalonians that they were suffering great afflictions And Paul wanted so badly to be there to encourage them in the faith, but he couldn't be there. And we see this here and in the previous verses leading up to here. In verses 17 and 20, if you want to look at them, 17 through 20 of the previous chapter, 1 Thessalonians 2, Paul expresses his unyielding desire to see them face to face but he says Satan had prevented him time and time again. Imagine for a moment with me, if you would, your son or daughter at a very young age, say third grade, and your daughter is being bullied at school. And she's trying to endure this most unwelcomed, frightful experience not knowing what kind of horrors await her at school again tomorrow. She doesn't even want to go. And you, her father, you are a thousand miles away on a business trip and you cannot console her in person You not only cannot be there to comfort her, but you also cannot be there to encourage her and defend her. And furthermore, she doesn't understand at eight years of age why you can't be there for her, because you've always been there for her. You've always been her strong tower against her enemies in this life, Psalm 61.3, when she feels most unsafe she feels safest with you imagine that as a as a parent i imagine from paul's words in this epistle that he felt like this parent would feel paul actually says in 1st Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 7 but we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her children. Why did Paul feel this great need to encourage the Thessalonians in the faith? Verse 3, chapter 3 tells us, so that none of them would be shaken. And the Greek there is disturbed or deceived. Okay? By by what? By their afflictions, by their sufferings, by their tribulations, which Paul says they were appointed to and destined to by God. In verse 4 there, in 1 Thessalonians 3, Paul goes as far as to remind them that he had told them beforehand in advance that they would suffer these afflictions. And because Paul could not any longer endure the fact that he couldn't be there with them, he sends Timothy in his place to encourage them in the faith amidst their trials so that they wouldn't be shaken by what they were going through. He couldn't take what they were going through away. (coughs) Then Timothy reports back to Paul and gives Paul the good news that the faith and love of the Thessalonians was such that paul didn 't have to worry anymore on top of his it says it it says it right here on top of his current afflictions and distresses that he spoke of in verse seven of first Thessalonians three so like paul we we as pastors in this local body of believers um We know that you are experiencing trials and tribulations in your life. Please be encouraged by the fact that we're praying for you. And that we're thinking about you. And that we're doing everything that we can to minister to you when you are afflicted. And just like in the lives of the Thessalonians and others, the tribulations and even the, specific, the specifics of your afflictions, it's so important that we understand that they're predetermined. Folks, they're predetermined prior to our birth, the Bible says the Lord has planned them out in order to facilitate spiritual growth in your life and in order to further conform you to the image of His suffering Son, the image of His suffering Christ. Let that be of some comfort to you. Remember when God promised Paul that he would encounter tribulation and he would encounter suffering through the prophecy of Ananias in Acts chapter 9 verse 16. The Lord appoints affliction in our lives. Not only does Paul say that the Thessalonians should anticipate the need to endure tribulation in 1 Thessalonians 3:12 through 14, but Peter also tells his readers in 1 Peter chapter 4 verses 12 through 19 he tells them this beloved do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings that when his glory is revealed you may also be glad with exceeding joy. Then in verse 19 of that same chapter, Peter continues and says, Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God, let those who suffer according to the will of God, entrust their souls to Him, to a faithful creator while doing good. People have asked me over the years what Peter means when he says that, but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings. This means that the Christian who is persecuted for his or her faith is a partner in the same kind of suffering that Jesus endured. Suffering for doing what is right and for doing the will of the Father. That's what that means. Identifying with Christ's sufferings is a very big part of being conformed to the image of Christ. How could you be conformed to the image of Christ without suffering? He suffered greatly. Remember, which I just mentioned, Jesus said to Ananias in Acts 9. I'm going to read this beginning in verse 10. Now there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, get up and go, to the street called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas for for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay hands on him so that he might regain his sight. Verse 13, But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many people about this man how much harm he did to your saints in Jerusalem. And here, he has authority from the chief priests, okay, to arrest all of us who call upon your name. But the Lord said to him in verse 15, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. And then there's that verse, verse 16. For I will show him, how much ye must suffer in behalf of my name. And with that said, it's well worth remembering Galatians chapter 6, verse 17 here, where Paul says, uh, from now on, folks, don't anybody trouble me, okay? For I bear in my body the marks of of the Lord Jesus, in other words, Paul saying, "Don't question my apostleship any longer." As, as as we just read in Acts, prior to Paul's conversion, he'd been imprisoning and killing Christians, and so there were still people, and rightfully so, who questioned the genuineness of Paul's conversion and his ministry, and they questioned whether or not. He was worthy to be called an apostle given what he had done. And so Paul is saying here in verse 17 of Galatians 6, Don't question my apostleship or my convictions because I've paid my dues, folks, as evidenced by the fact that my body bears some of the same marks as our Lord Jesus Christ. Then Paul outlines what those marks are, Uh, that he's obtained in the form of suffering in his body for Christ over in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, where he says that he had many imprisonments. I would have probably quit right there. Many imprisonments, countless beatings, and was often near death. He says that he received 39 lashes five times. A lot of people died after receiving one round of 39 lashes. He did it five times. He was beaten with rods multiple times. He was stoned and left for dead because he was unconscious. They threw him outside the city gate. They thought he was dead. He says he was um, shipwrecked three times. He spent a day and a night adrift at sea in the ocean, or, yeah, I don't know if that was an ocean. Mediterranean. He often went without food and water and was exposed to the cold. Plus, he added, in addition to all of that, that he had the daily pressure of anxiety, his words, on him because of his responsibility to all the churches he planted. And we also read of Paul's sufferings in Philippians one twenty nine where he says that we have not only been freely given the ability to believe in Christ, we've been given the ability to have salvation, belief in Christ, and as such, we should not only believe in him, he says, but we should also be willing to suffer for his sake. He could say that because he lived it. And this suffering is Paul's and our if we've been through it, badge of legitimacy. It was the legitimacy of his apostleship and the authenticity of his conversion. Then in Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 11, Paul talks about the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus as Lord for whom he has, what? Suffered the loss of all Things he says, and counts them as rubbish, that he may gain Christ and be found in him, not having his own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that Paul may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings and being conformed to his death if by any means, Paul says, that he may attain to the resurrection of the dead. So here we see again this theme, this reality, the fellowship of his sufferings. This refers, folks, to a deep connection a comprehensive communion of sufferings that every believer shares with Christ, who is able to comfort other suffering Christians because he has already experienced the same suffering that they're experiencing. But why? <laughs> why? Why must we suffer? tribulations, and identify with Christ in this way? Why must we persevere in tribulations as Paul tells us in our text? Why is it, I should say, why is it so that many times we may be persecuted for sharing the gospel? Why is it so that the Lord seems to strip us from so many things in our lives that we love? Well, that last question, that's the easy one. We'll take that first. Why does he seem to strip us of so many things that we love? Because he will not tolerate any other things being put before him. Plain and simple. He will not tolerate anything in your life that exalts itself against him and robs him of your devotion to him and your fellowship to him. This is the kind of suffering that he can bring that you don't want, initially. He is your God, He is your King. He is your Holy and Righteous One. He is the Almighty One. He is the Great I Am. He is a jealous God, says so Himself. He is, He will not stand for a split allegiance. He is rightfully demanding all of your allegiance Trust me, I know, don't tempt him. Don't mock him. Don't make a God out of any other thing in your life because if you do, he will not stand for it. He will cut it down. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. First Chronicles 16, 29. Come, let us worship the Lord in holy array. Psalm 95, 6. Tremble before him all the earth. Psalm 96, 9. Christians, are you hearing what I'm saying this morning? There is suffering in the Christian life that is good and healthy for your Christian walk. And then, there is a suffering in the Christian life that you would do well to avoid. That's the kind that we bring upon ourselves because we get confused about who God really is and who we really aren't, basically. (laughs) Opt for the suffering and the tribulation that's ordained by God to refine you and conform you to the image of Christ. Don't opt for the suffering and tribulation that you bring upon yourself because you got to worshiping something else instead of worshiping Him. Back to our text and persevering in the God-ordained tribulations. Let's answer that other question that I just posed. Why does the Lord make us persevere and endure through these tribulations? Answer. The longer you can endure the fire, the more dross is burned off and the more pure the metal becomes. My father worked for 45 years, if you can comprehend that, Forty-five years as a machinist at LTV Steel. And I used to sell industrial tools and industrial chemicals to steel mills. And so I know a little bit about this. Smelting, the word smelting, is the word used to describe the heating of iron ore. The temperatures in the smelting process are so high. First of all, if you get too close, it'll kill you. The heat will kill you. Guys have to wear special soles on their boots because it gets so hot that the ground melts the soles of their shoes. The high heat is necessary to purify The metal, it separates the impurities out of the metal. And those impurities are called dross, D-R-O-S-S. The dross, or impurities, come to the top so that they could be skimmed off, burned off. In the Bible, dross signifies impurity. Metaphorically, the Bible says that God purges the impure and worthless dross From his people through a spiritual refining process often known as trials and tribulations. The Lord says to Israel through the prophet Isaiah, quote, I will turn my hand against you. I will thoroughly purge away your dross and remove all your impurities. I will restore your leaders as in the days of old your rulers as at the beginning. Afterward, you will be called the city of righteousness, the faithful city. That's Isaiah one twenty-five through 26. That same imagery is used countless times in the Old Testament to describe the Lord working in his people either to, one of two things, chastise them or refine them. In the New Testament, we have unhealthy dross in our lives in the form of harmful and destructful or destructive, I should say, and damaging thoughts and practices, habitual sins, obstinate disobedience, whatever you want to call those things, it causes dross. And as a result, the Lord causes impurities, I should say. As a result, the Lord dictates at times in our lives that we need to undergo a refining process, a purification process, sometimes at very high temperatures for very long periods of time in order to separate the dross so that we can ultimately become a reflection of our Savior. That's the goal. And this process isn't something that happens overnight. Remember 1 Peter chapter 1, 3-7? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again. We're born again, we're Christians, to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, remember we looked at this last week, undefiled, will not fade away, reserved, past tense, present tense, in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even through, or I'm I'm sorry, even though now for a little while, If necessary, Peter says, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials so that the proof of your faith, the authenticity of your faith, the genuineness of your faith being more precious than gold, which perishes, though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise, glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I want you to take comfort in the fact that when God turns up the heat in your life, He is doing so many times to show His love for you, just like a parent who loves you enough to take the time to discipline you, test you, and or teach you so that the fire can burn off the dross, purify you, refine you, and make you come out the other side like a polished beautiful piece of gold on display in the image of Christ Jesus our Lord. In Zechariah chapter 13 verse 9 the prophet says and I will bring The third part, through the fire. This is God speaking through Zechariah. Refine them as silver is refined. And test them as gold is tested. They will call on my name and I will answer them. I will say, they are my people. And they will say, the Lord is my God. So sometimes afflictions are to refine us and sometimes also our tribulations are a blessing in disguise. If you ever talk to a kid who is now a grown-up, whose parents never disciplined him or her as a child or as a teen, they will tell you in one form or another, one way or another, they will convey to you that they felt unloved because their parents didn't care enough to discipline them. From a positive perspective, we should feel loved because our Father does take the time to discipline us and chastise us. Verse 67 of Psalm 119 is well known in this regard. The psalmist says, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. I didn't care about your word until you smacked me upside the head. Milano paraphrase. That's a blessing in disguise, right? How many times have you been thankful to the Lord for chastising you with affliction because you know you would have never come back to him on your own? I mean, how many of you, myself, been backsliding for a period of time? You would have never come back on your own? It's his kindness that leads us to repentance, Romans 2, 3 and 4. What did Paul say in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17? For this light momentary affliction is preparing us, preparing for us, an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And who can forget Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather uh, than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those that have been trained by it. It's like going to the dentist. It's never a good thing when you're in the chair, but when you get out of the chair, you feel a lot better. Days progressing, hopefully. We could do an entire series just on afflictions, but in closing, I pray that you've seen several things here this morning. I pray that you've seen that You must persevere and endure through the tribulations and afflictions in this life. That's our text. Persevere in tribulation. I pray that you've seen that your tribulations are appointed by God for your good and his glory. As such, I hope that you see his providential hand in them. If you can't see his hand in them and sometimes we don't ever see it till we die then I hope and pray you trust in him that he's doing the right thing in that refining process that you're going through and I hope you can say along with good old suffering Job but he knows the way that I take when he has tried me I shall come out as gold Job twenty three ten, and if you know that the tribulation you are going through, if you know it's God's chastisement upon you because of disobedience or disregard for his commandments, then, of course, I pray that you will repent and change course. For our Lord said, Jesus said, if you love me, he'll keep my commandments, John fourteen fifteen. I plead with you to remember Proverbs 3, 11 and 12, my son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof, for the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. Let's pray.